In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We pray in the last petition of the perfect prayer that God would deliver us from evil. This Lent we have been considering on our Wednesday evening services all the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. In Luther's explanation in our Catechism, he calls this last petition the sum of them all. It summarizes all the petitions. It truly does. Go along in your head all the petitions with me. Pure doctrine is good. False doctrine is evil. Faith is good. Unbelief is evil. God's will is good. The desires of the flesh are evil. Our bodies need good things. Evil things hurt and harm us. Forgiveness is very good. Unpacified anger is very evil. It is good to remain steadfast. It is evil to fall into sin. We pray for the good. We ask God as the sum of all to deliver us from the evil. There is no gaining of good without deliverance from evil. This petition is the sum of all. And it's fitting that we should consider how this is so tonight, since the events of our Lord's Passion, which we have been meditating upon for some time now, are indeed the sum of them all. The sum of the perfect life lived for you and me. Deliver us from evil. Give us the good. It is why we call it Good Friday. We find in Jesus' suffering and death a summary of all his innocent goodness, as well as a summary of all our evil guilt. Our deliverance from evil depends on the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' passion is the summary of all human need, and it is the basis for everything we ask for. Only God can fill our need. Only God can deliver us from evil. Only God is good. Jesus taught us to ask his Father to deliver us from evil. But he rebuked Peter. That's who it was. Peter, who tried to deliver him from evil. Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must happen thus? In order for us to be delivered from evil, Jesus first had to be delivered into evil. We call it the great exchange. The great exchange. The sinless Son of God must die in sadness. The sinful child of man may live in gladness. Man forfeited his life and is acquitted. God is committed. The prophet Isaiah describes it as though he were there. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All our sin 
was imputed to Jesus. It's not a fancy word, it's one that we should know, like propitiation. It is a good, clear Bible word that teaches us to find hope in our Savior's death. All our sin was imputed to Jesus. This means that God reckoned or accounted our sin to him. All evil that we deserve, Jesus endured. All honor and mercy that Jesus deserved, he bestows on us. He wins for us God's favor and forgiveness by bearing God's wrath. God cannot decide not to impute sin, your sin, my sin, anyone's sin, without imputing your sin and my sin and the world's sin somewhere else instead. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. For God to acquit and rescue the guilty requires that God convict and condemn the innocent. In his person, Jesus was innocent. But God's imputation is real. It is determinative, determinative of reality. It isn't God just balancing the books in his head or putting on a show on the cross. No, when God imputed our sins to Jesus, Jesus became the sole possessor of our sins, the greatest guilty one. He became sin for us. He felt on more than his back the stripes that healed us. He bore in his soul the clearest and most articulate guilt and regret and shame for all our evil that he suffered. As the beautiful hymn puts it, but the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Jesus was sorry for our sins. God turned away and forsook him who succeeded where Adam willfully failed in order to shine his face in mercy upon us who were born and have lived in Adam's rebellion. Adam wanted to become like God. But Jesus became a worm and no man to bring us back to God. This is the great exchange. But the great exchange is more than just Jesus bearing our guilt. The blessedness of God forgiving and covering your sin, the blessedness of God not imputing it to you, St. Paul says, is itself the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Just as God could not just ignore our sin without imputing it to somebody, so God could not and did not ignore the perfect obedience of his son either. He imputes it to us. For God to take your sin away is for God to give you in place of your sin the righteousness of Jesus. God cannot forego imputing sin without imputing righteousness in its place. He was made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is not enough or even possible to make it so that you are not against him without making it so that you are indeed for him. He doesn't just clean us off. He clothes us. God cannot deliver us from evil except by giving what is good. He cannot forgive us without justifying us. He gave his son. He gave his son into death. He does not cease to be against us without making himself totally for us. He makes us sons of God through faith. 
It is a great mystery. It is the basis for every petition and request we may ever ask of God. Summed up here, deliver us from evil. This petition that Jesus teaches us is, I suppose, I've been told, and I suppose, more accurately translated, deliver us from the evil one. We can work with this. The evil one is the devil, who has power to accuse those who have fallen for his temptation. He accuses us. His power is to tempt and to accuse. Devil means tempter. Satan means accuser or slanderer. The devil fled when Jesus defeated him as tempter. You recall this from the very beginning of Lent. Now Satan lingers here at the very end of Lent as he presumes to fulfill his proper name as accuser against him who overthrew him in the wilderness. But unlike in the wilderness, when Jesus rebuked with choice words of Holy Scripture, now Jesus is utterly silent, like a sheep led to the slaughter before his slanderers. How will Satan get behind him now if Jesus does not rebuke him from God's word? How will Satan flee now if even the Father's judgment from heaven agrees with the accusation of sin? that the devil unsuccessfully sought to lead Jesus into. Yet even in his silence, Jesus dealt quite manfully. He who defeated the tempter by quoting scripture, now defeats our accuser by fulfilling scripture. By the word of Jesus' mouth, the devil once fled to fight another day. He got behind him. Now the eternal word who came forth from the Father's bosom faces the day for which he was made flesh to put the ancient serpent not behind him, but under him. Jesus faced our true accuser. He faced God. He consented to God's judgment to propitiate and pacify his Father's wrath against us. He didn't talk back. He agreed but he didn't concede anything to the chief priests or to the devil himself. He confessed to them only what God commanded him to say. But then by his silence, he silences all counterfeit accusations besides against him and against you. He silently answers to God as our substitute. Jesus gave his life to the Father, not to the devil. He gave his life to God, who alone is good, he delivers us from evil by giving nothing to evil. Jesus did not bow his head in imputed guilt to the devil. He bowed his head in imputed guilt to his father. He didn't pay off the devil. He reconciled us to God by his payment to him alone. He addressed the devil in the wilderness as our substitute. But as our substitute on the cross, he simply ignored him. The devil's head was already wedged and muffled beneath his bruising heel. Jesus ignored the devil and turned all his attention to his father, whom he loved and obeyed, whose holy accusation against every single one of us. And so there on the cross against him was directed only at him 
He ignored the devil and focused instead on us poor sinners while he reconciled us to his Father. Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior, turned away God's wrath forever. By his bitter pain and woe, he saved us from the evil foe. And this is how good overcomes evil. This is how we are delivered. Jesus taught us to ask his Father to deliver us from evil. Remember how he rebuked Peter, who tried to deliver him from evil. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must happen thus? This is the same Peter with James and John, who could not watch one hour in prayer. We see evil. We see evil in our bodies and in our souls. We see evil threatening both our property and our honor. We hate evil. We want to overcome it. We see evil threatening the church. We see evil blaspheming Christ. We see evil in our hearts, temptations, grudges, pride that fuels sins that we thought we might have overcome, but we haven't. We see lust for power, glory, pleasures, and pleasures don't last the way power and glory tend to last. So these lusts tend to return more often than makes sense to us. Our, our flesh is so weak. We grow fat and old. And the sins of our youth do not stay in our youth. Our own evil is responsible for whatever evil afflicts our bodies, corrupts our souls, threatens us with poverty, and puts our reputations at risk. Oh, how we hate evil. We want to fight it. Peter took up the sword. He would fight evil. But he who takes the sword will perish by the sword. Dear Christians, he who fights with the flesh will perish in the flesh. Peter fought as he did so valiantly because he did not know scripture. That he must be delivered from evil. Just as Jesus said, he who could not pray one hour learned to pray for many. And so must we. He who denied his Lord learned to know not the evil outside that threatens the good, but the evil inside that denies the good. We need what is good. We ask for what is good. And so we praise the sum of all to be delivered from evil. We praise the sum of all for Christ and his crucifixion, where he made peace between us and our Father to whom we pray, to be imprinted on our hearts and before our eyes forever. What else can compel us to pray for one petition, let alone for the sum of all? Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak, so we don't pray as we ought. That's because we don't hear and listen to God's word as we ought. So don't trust in your weak flesh. Trust in God who in your flesh overcame every evil. And not just the evil of the world that makes you feel righteously mad, but the great evil punishment which we rightly deserve. Jesus bears our sin because he loves us and does not hate us. He, the good, faced the evil he hates, but he loves us. He restored Peter with the peace and forgiveness he won for us all 
After rising again in our very human flesh, his flesh is strong and he sends flesh and blood to preach the gospel to you, the scriptures to you, whereby you are taught and encouraged to pray always in Jesus' name. He taught Peter to pray for his own deliverance as the sum of his prayers. And as he taught Peter, he teaches us by bearing his sin, by teaching us to confess the weakness of our flesh, by making our spirits willing, by giving us joy in the crucifixion, atonement, the propitiation of Christ on the cross for all of us, and so also with the imputation of everything that belongs to him in his resurrected glory. This is how we are delivered from evil. This is how he will grant us a blessed death and graciously take us from this veil of tears to himself in heaven. He teaches us to ask for it, and so we do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Let us pray.